This podcast is sponsored by Inside Out Group, the specialists in high-risk and challenging filming and time-lapse, covering health and safety videos for rail, construction and infrastructure projects nationwide. And we're live. Welcome to this week's Safer Than Your Average. On the show this week, we have Daisy. Daisy, if you just want to come in and introduce yourself. Yeah, no problems, Blair. So uh, my name is Daisy Silcock. Um, I am a health and safety consultant and trainer. uh, And I'm also into my third year now on the IOSH Members Council as well. Excellent. Thanks, Daisy. So... I don't know if you've seen the podcast, we like to just go right back to the beginning. Tell us a little bit about your early life, where you grew up. Uh, well, I was born in Cheshire mm-hmm. um, and uh, I was the baby of the family. And um, I think you can probably tell that the rest of them are all quite normal. And then there's me, uh, which I get reminded of about a lot. But I did everything different, Blair. I didn't follow the path that that I sort of the others followed in that sense, and um, and I think that was kind of probably part of the reason why I got into sort of the, the career late because um, you might find this hard to believe, but when I did my A levels, I um, after my A levels, I actually went to drama school. So I uh-huh. went to drama school in Manchester, and I was I wanted to be the the next big thespian. Um, but it's, it's blowing hard work. Uh, and I, I, I kind of found myself needing to get a job. Um, and uh, I started working in a hotel um, and really, really enjoyed it. This was in Cheshire, sort of Manchester, Cheshire way. And I uh, really enjoyed it. And um, decided that sort of hotel life was, was what I wanted to do at that time. And very quickly, I became um, a duty manager and then deputy manager and so on and kind of progressed to various different hotels. And one of these journeys in a hotel took me up to a hotel called The Scores in St. Andrews. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I was up there for a while as manager. Um, and then something happened in my life, which I think really kind of really got me on my path. And I had a breakdown when I was at the hotel and um, it was kind of absolutely I was I was think I was about 21 at the time 22 so I was really young first time away from home big job you know big place that I was in as well you know St Andrews full of people and and it's got such a sort of reputation Um, and I yeah I had this breakdown and um, it took a while to sort of get me level. But one of the things the doctor said to me was, you need a normal job. You need a nine to five job. And uh, after taking some time off, I applied for a role at a health and safety, an offshore health and safety company. Mm-hmm. And I was just going in as, I say as only just, but going in as an administrator, an operations administrator. Mm-hmm. Um but it was a small family company. And I think quite quickly they saw the management skills I'd had previously. And I think they kind of decided, oh, I'm gonna try try and develop this girl. Um, And I had a great mentor, this guy called Stuart Morrison there, who was the operations director. 
-hmm. and he'd been in the army he'd 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 traveled all around the world with in the oil and gas industry and he was really somebody that I I looked up to and he taught me so much Mm -hmm. and he was kind of a mentor really in that sense um and certainly got me on my path into health and safety that way into a career that I I you know I I started that company and I was like Piper Alpha what what's that you know and I had to learn all this stuff Mm -hmm. there was so so many great people that that worked there who had so much knowledge that it was just I was kind of like the sponge and I realized that this was kind of something that I wanted to stay in and I Mm -hmm. got the opportunity to do some qualifications there as well um and then that was it really I was kind of you know I'd hit the ground running and I'd found what it was I really wanted to do it gets it to a year, doesn't it? I know, it's weird. Like, honest to God, I know, and, and I mean, I don't know what, you know, your personal circumstances or anything like this, but I've, I've said to a few people that I kind of, I live with my mental health and I, I wouldn't be where I am without it. You know, mm. I wouldn't have been here. I wouldn't be on the path I'm on. I would certainly, I don't think I'd be in health and safety if it yep. wasn't for what happened. So there's a kind of part of me that's, it allowed me to find out something about myself and then get me on this path. So I'm kind of glad that it happened um, mm. because it, it, it just showed me a new part of life, which I just wouldn't have seen any other way, you know? Mm. I'd lived a very sheltered life, a very, uh, you know, uh, had a very successful parents and uh, went to private school, went to boarding school um you know had it all laid out in front of me but I think this big hiccup that happened was the thing that really kind of helped me decide right this is where I want to go with my career sure there's a a Mark Twain quote that I love that the two most important days in your life is the day that you're born and the day that you find out why yeah yeah absolutely absolutely So if we move forward a little bit then, Daisy, you moved to work with oil and gas company, started to kind of branch into safety from there. What was your kind of first full-time health and safety job? Uh, I think it was when I went self-employed. Mm-hmm. I think that was the first time. Quite an interesting route to go as well, isn't it? <laughs> I know. Do you know, I was thinking about having this conversation with you and I was thinking about it earlier. And do you know what? I have to. I have to be honest with you, Blair. And I probably shouldn't, but I was definitely, you know, faking it till I made it. You know, um, I look back now and I think, oh my God, you knew nothing. You knew absolutely nothing. You know, you'd done your qualifications and you had some experience behind you, like in a management role, an operational role in an industry that was very high risk. But ultimately, yeah, it was, it was, I definitely think I perhaps did too a bit about blagging at the beginning, which I wouldn't recommend. Of course I wouldn't, but thank, and, you know, and thankfully it's never bitten me on the behind, but you know, it's, it's funny now because now I, now I'm teaching, which is so ironic because I hated school. I hated anything to do with education. Um, but I now look at the new, for example, the new Nibosh OBE format and mm-hmm. So many people had said, oh, you know, they've dumbed it down. They've done this, they've done that. No, what they've done is they've allowed people like me to tell, to give my experiences now. And 
so you know what you what they're requesting or what they need these delegates these learners to do now is to actually show you know show me you understand what this thing is not just parrot you know pick the book up learn it off by heart and and quote it down you know on a piece of paper this yep. is very much you know explain this scenario you know what what's your view on it and I like that I like that I think it's more real kind of more realistic to what you have to do in in this job you know I was very fortunate when I was at school I had a teacher and he I still remember him to this day, Mr. Cairns at Cleveland High School. He was brilliant. And he taught a subject called Modern Studies. And it was all about politics and debating. Oh, yeah. I loved it because he had a very strong opinions and could almost win you around at an argument, but was very firebrand in the way that he put things across. I used to love to go in and I would take the opposing view every time just to try and wind them up a bit and get them started and it would pass the time for the class because like many people I hated school and I didn't really want to be there you know I went back to academia later in life and I think um, we tend to find that with safety people don't we it takes a certain type of person to go into safety and it seems to gravitate towards the people that maybe didn't do very well in education the first time round. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, I, I found that when I did my qualifications, um, certainly thinking about like, oh, the Nebosch General Certificate, you know, I had a I had a shocking time. I had mm -hmm. an absolute shocking time. Um, and and the, the I was the only female in a class of 17 blokes. Um, and it was just the comments that were being, you know, they turn the well, they turn my hair blue. They turn the air blue. Um, but the the I remember the tutor, like we were asking the tutor questions, and he'd say, "Google it," you know, it's not in the syllabus. And I think that now about the amount of times I get asked when I'm teaching. Now at my work, we've got this problem. What would you do, Daisy? And I can just imagine, like. I would never say, oh, Google it or, you know, sorry, we haven't got time for it, you know, because it's all a learning exercise. It's like everything you do when you're in that scenario is, is trying to help and teach people. And I think in a way, part of me was having gone on that training course and I thought, and I might have probably arrogantly thought, I can do better than this. Um, and that was kind of where I went into that choosing this side of, of safety because I think if I if I look at my books now I'd say probably only about 15% of my work is consultancy and the rest is teaching um and it's by far it's the bit that I love the most mm -hmm. yeah. I never yeah. thought I would say that but yeah. not, yeah. not the current teaching I'm doing which is like splitting between homeschooling and teaching you know um I am I'm much better at teaching about Legionella than I am sort of, you know, meta <laughs> formation, you know. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. I had a great Nibosh tutor when I done my Nibosh way back in the day, a guy called Jim McCubbin, ex para, really, really good guy, and had just come out of the army when he tutored me, and uh, I had zero confidence. I had always been told when I was at school, you know, I'm out to nothing, Boyd. That was the Little but, you know, now, eh? of the day, that's what a lot of the teachers were like back in the day. So you're amount to nothing. So I had zero confidence in learning, and he was brilliant at how he put the message across and how he really inspired people and encouraged them to develop 
and it really I can see that as a crucible of the fire igniting for me yeah. and my passion really starting to build up in safety is going through that me boss general and I, and I, I think the sort of uh, the IOSH managing safely the me boss general are the beginning for people so if you can't grab and inspire them on mm -hmm. those courses you've lost some potentially amazing safety people and i think yep. it's really important i had a, had a girl recently really she was 18 19 and doing um nebosh and you know a i was like hats off so young and she knew what she wanted to do i think her dad was in safety and she knew exactly what she wanted to do and she had so much passion and drive for it and uh I just thought that's great. But like you say, the majority of people that I'm seeing are sort of midway through their career or even sort of the latter part of their career and thinking, all right, well, now I want to get into this. Um, and I think that you have to inspire those because adult teaching is so difficult because everybody's got their preconceived ideas when it comes to health and safety anyway, that we're, we're boring and that we're like the fun police and all the rest of it. And I know I'm a total safety geek. You know, I'm the warder who went on a Valentine's date and was like, that's the wrong fire extinguisher. You know? yeah. I mean, it was a shocking date. I never wanted a second one anyway, but I weren't going to get one after that comment. Um, but, you know, I just think it's really important that you, you kind of open the door and make it accessible, you know, make it, you know, you, that I know that I am not. I've seen some of the people you've had on this, podcast and by far I definitely feel like the odd one out because you know th these are some absolute geniuses you know um but I don't think you necessarily have to be the best of the best to teach people who may go on to be the best of the best you know because I think you have to inspire them and start that seed of like this is going to be exciting this is a career and also it's like with me that the fact that I can live as a, as a single mum as a lone parent be self-employed um do everything I want to do in life pick and choose when I want to work around holiday school holidays and all the rest of it and still do the job that I absolutely adore and that again is kind of makes other perhaps women or, or lone parents think oh I can do this I can have the life that I want without having to sacrifice family time or that work-life balance or anything like that so I think it's really you know I, I'm, I couldn't think of doing a different job. I really couldn't, you know. There's nothing that's like itching going, oh, I always, you know, I really want to be this. No, no, I've definitely found. The niche. <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, excellent, Daisy, excellent. So if we move forward a little bit, Daisy, can you take us through your career journey? So we'd left off there, you'd went self-employed in your first safety role, which is massive for anybody to take on all of that, all at the one time. So can you I, tell us about it? My first, to be honest, I, I, I've got to be honest, and I, and I, and I say the same to, to other people that are going into particularly teaching. You know, when I first started self-employed, I also worked in a pub on the weekend and I cleaned people's houses on the day I wasn't teaching. But it was what I wanted to do. I gave up the job that I had at that time, which was um, I, by this point I'd, I'd gone from Scotland and I was down in Essex and I was working in London and um, as it, you know and, and I, I just decided that I wanted to be self-employed and uh, I wanted to work for myself. And initially I might get one job a month 
And it was so many letters and phone calls and emails to get me where I wanted to go. But I knew that it was what I wanted to do. And if I had to clean toilets and pull pints to get there, that, that's what I was going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got very lucky or very fortunate that I, I there was a short-term sort of contract position. I think it was six months or nine months. I can't remember now. Um, it was working for a company that's associated with Sky and um, as a working at height trainer. And, right. um, so I became a, a regional working at height trainer. And mm-hmm. um, from there, I got involved not only with you know, Sky stuff, but also another company which installed solar panels as well. So mm-hmm. again, it was w- working at height-based training, but there was an element of site inspection and kind of like the onward checking of compliance from those that you taught and then I had a phone call one day and it was like the you know just a number come up didn't know who it was and um it was another oil and gas company and um they were looking for a technical trainer um Mm -hmm. on a sort of ad hoc to begin with basis and then before I know it, I was flying out to the Middle East. And um, for like four years, I was uh, in Qatar. So I, and that was just, yeah, and that was, it was challenging. It was, it was, um, you know, like the culture was different and everything was different. But, you know, I'm always one of those people that, you know, if you've got a question, if you're not sure about something, just ask. So I would just, you know, kind of learn about local life and fitting in by asking people and and um you know I, it was a, it was an amazing time it really was an amazing time and uh the the company was going from strength to strength at this point qatar did not have the world cup or anything like that that was that was later um but it was a really fantastic time and i really really um I think I learned a lot there about, again, about, I used all the experience I'd had from the, from the previous company, the, the health and safety um, offshore company. And the courses that I was doing there were all bespoke safety courses. So it was based on a training needs analysis that was done. And, um, you know, from, from that, it was in developing and training out courses. And I think there was, it served me in such a good stead, I think, for, going forward um and it really was the thing that kind of really boosted my career absolutely mm-hmm. and so I was I, it was something I was really uh, proud to get and I was pleased to get and then amongst that there was other bits of work and things I was doing I started to get more kind of small consultancy bits and pieces that I was doing mainly for local companies and then word of mouth and then word of mouth and whatever and that's I think the one of the biggest things and it's certainly the thing I do now I mean I was having this conversation this week actually with some people that work in a sales team and I said god I couldn't sell I'm used to I wouldn't be able to sell anything you know um and I'm very lucky that I've never really other than perhaps right at the beginning I've never had to really sell me or and I feel very fortunate perhaps I came in at just the right point where there was less people doing what I do and maybe I just kind of got lucky by a sheer numbers thing. Um, whereas now, of course, the market is so flooded by people doing the same thing. And then it's a price war, which I'm never, I refuse to get into price wars, you know. Um, 
so I, I think maybe I just it just hit it at the right time that I got into this at the right time, I think. And I think, it, you know, I've got to say, I, I have to say this, Blair, because I did, I think that there are things about me that perhaps set me apart from other people. Mm-hmm. And the fact that I was female, I think um, certainly at the beginning helped and that I was young, I think it did help because it was different than perhaps what was out there at that time, you know? And I think now I look at, I look at sort of platforms like LinkedIn and I love the fact that I'm now one of the, I'm getting to be one of the oldies, you know, not even 40. And yet I'm almost, you know, I kind of see all these other ones and I think, wow, it's great. And so many more women, which is fantastic. And as it should be, it should Mm -hmm. be a balance because that really makes no difference whatsoever to your ability to, to do this role. Um, so I think it's great to see that balance coming in. I've worked for some great female safety leaders across my career as well that have been really supportive and helpful and interested in the person element of safety rather than just the, the corporate structure yeah. um, element of it. So yeah, totally get it. That's, uh, that's excellent. Moving forward from there then, Daisy, what's been the biggest challenge in your career? What's been the thing that's gave you some real real problems or real challenges to overcome? Um, I think I think probably becoming a mum was probably mm-hmm. like the biggest challenge for me because it was like a logistical challenge um, and it did impact on some of the things that I wanted to do, um, particularly with some of my work out because when I sort of started working in the Middle East, I then went to other countries as well and did other bits and pieces of work. And certainly I think that sort of sort of presenting myself as a as a single pregnant woman was was had its disadvantages. Um, I think that the biggest, I think from my perspective, the biggest challenges have always been to do with things like sexism ageism you know like I mentioned before I think those have been the biggest hurdles um I think if I look back at me and um the hurdles that I put in front of myself I definitely think the the imposter complex was the thing that I've had the biggest of the biggest thing for me was was ever feeling that I actually deserved to be doing and I always felt like somebody was just going to go what are you doing here come on out you don't know what you're on about um, and I think the, the moment for me when I really realised that I was where I was supposed to be was when I was at the IOSH conference in was it 18 or 19, maybe at 19. And I was stood on stage talking and I thought, I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be, you know. And um, I think this is something that we have. I don't know like if you've ever had that feeling, but you always kind of stood in a room and you think everybody knows better things and more people than I do but all of us at some point have had that feeling mm-hmm. um, and I think it's about thinking well you're there because you've done something or, or or you've earned your stripes to get where you are you know and all of us feel that are we good enough feeling and I think that sometimes that actual challenge in your own head can be the biggest challenge that you have to your career because the thing that holds you back stops you from pushing forward and going you know what I can do it I can achieve this so I think for me for many years it was that 
I'm just going to coast along. I'm just going to coast along. Um, and then, like I say, you know, the, 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 the kind of the, the, the ups and downs were more to do with things like I say, you know, the fact that I was female or the fact that I was young or, like I said, having a baby. Um, but the weird thing about having a child is it, it's, never, it's been another real defining moment, you know, um, totally pinnacle, because I think that was the thing that made me think, that's why I'm here. I'm the thing I was put on this earth to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and now it's given me much more kind of boomph about, you know, going and, and pushing myself more and, and trying to achieve and do more. And I know, for example, with lockdown, I remember sort of, God, that day in March last year, and I and I was teaching in Manchester, and and you know, came on the radio, and I just thought, oh my God, mm-hmm. you know, I'm self-employed, I have a child at home, um, how am I going to support myself? I, I, and I and I for like I don't know an hour or so, I had a wobble, and I rang my mum, and my mum was like, come on, you'll do this, girl, come on, you'll do this. And my mum's like this kind of like fierce Italian woman. So she's like, you will do this. Um, and I'd not long lost my father as well. So like emotionally, I was all over the place. And uh, I thought, right, I've got to teach online. I've got to get online and I've got to start teaching. I, you know, I felt that I was the first tutor of to teach Nibosh through, you know, evening class via Zoom. And I kind of feel really chuffed. To, to have actually just gone, it wasn't a, it wasn't like a, a, I hadn't come up with some magical formula. It was the absolute need to put bread on the table. Yeah. And the fact that I couldn't teach during the day because I had a five-year-old at home. So I had to teach of an evening. And if that meant teaching five, six nights a week, then that's what I did. And I think, but that then created, it spurred other people on. I got more inboxes, but in those first weeks when I said I was going to do that from other people saying, how did you do this? What are you doing? What platform are you using? How are you teaching this? How are you doing that? Yeah. Um, that I ever got because it was people going, okay, well, you've come up with this, you know, very, it's not like an idea or anything, but just a way of doing it, of this getting around this hurdle. And it meant that we've created an opportunity now, which I don't think we'll, we'll ever lose. I don't think that training of any description um, that, that, that can be done um, in, in virtually, like this conversation we're having, not that I wouldn't love to sit down and have a, a beer with you sometime, you know, but, um, but you know, th- there's a way that we can use this technology to yep. our advantage, you know. Okay. So um, sure. I've presented at meetings all over the world during lockdown. I've been at the IOSH Qatar branch, for example, presenting yeah. three times. I've never got that opportunity right. before. Because I remember, I remember being out in Qatar and going to the branch. I think I went to the branch a couple of times because it was like, oh, it was when I was working or I wasn't there or I'd just flown home or something like that. And now, like you, during lockdown, I've been to Scottish branch. I've been to uh, Chilterns. I've been to London. You know, all these different branches. Um, mm-hmm. And and it's there's a level of like flexibility about it that you wouldn't yep. normally I mean I've had it before where I've gone into like a, a branch or a meeting or whatever it might be like a branch meeting something like that you know and I've got my son still coming in and out going mummy I need the toilet and all that kind of stuff but which I'd never be able to do had it been before he would have been at school 
He would have had a nanny looking after him at night time. I would have missed those opportunities to be a hands-on mum. Mm -hmm. And I think also it teaches him something as well, that mummy has to work and he can physically see mummy working, you know. Mm. Um, and so I think that's, you know, it's only a good thing. I had the same situation. My youngest daughter was born two weeks before the lockdown and I changed jobs all at the same time. So I just started a new job. I had a brand new baby in the house. I had my other daughter who's now three. She was uh, two at the time. It was just chaos, you know, and trying to work out where you're going and how you're going to do it and really make an influence in a new position as well. It's, it's quite quite a challenging time. It's, and scary as well, scary. You I know. was actually talking about this earlier today. I was thinking, you know, I've had some real positives out of the, the whole lockdown and the work from home and the things that have happened as well. Like I've been able to spend so much more time with the kids, oh, no. totally refocused how I do things. If I take a break for a couple of minutes to get up and go for a drink, I can go and roll about the floor with them and carry on and sing songs and then go back to work feeling great, uplifted and ready to go again, you know? But your camera stays oh. on for all of that. Yeah, for sure, for sure. You wouldn't have got those opportunities no. before, though, you know. I would have been in an office or I would have been away travelling or, you know. Well, I, I think that, I think about sort of the, the working career that I had, and I remember sort of going from that one day a month to literally five days a week. Mm -hmm. um, and I could sell myself three times over, you know, the, the, the demand was there. And I'm somebody who's very in a very lucky position that I have few companies that I train on behalf of and they book me well in advance. So like I, I know what I'm doing all the way up to January next year already. And mm -hmm. and you know, occasionally you get gaps and whatever. But I was in that position where it was five days a week. So with being a lone lone parent, I had a nanny who would basically do the nighttime routine. So pick my son up from nursery or school, put him to bed, do all that stuff. And I would go to work on a, I would leave the house on a Sunday afternoon, evening, and I'd come home on a Friday night and be away in a hotel, traveling the length and breadth or wherever I was working. Mm -hmm. And so I got the weekend and usually on the weekend I was knackered. Um, and so, you know, there'd be at least one nap squeezed in there and you just like, I'd do the washing, kind of spend like, you know, five minutes with him as well as trying to see family members and all the rest of it. And I can't imagine genuinely now having done 12, like, well, just short of 12 months worth of it. I cannot imagine going back to that. I don't want to. Mm -hmm. I'd rather, I'd rather have less money in the bank, you know, than, and, and more time with him because mm -hmm. it's just, I kind of think, why did I do that? And I did it because I thought I had to work five days a week, like that I had to, to do that. Yeah. And I now think, no, no, you don't. You don't have to. In fact, the weekend, this weekend just gone, I had somebody uh, text me about some work. And it was on Saturday afternoon. And then they sort of text me again a couple of hours later. And they text me again a couple of hours later. And I texted them back on the Sunday. And I just said, look, it's the weekend. You know, please don't be texting me on the weekend. This, this person's also a safety person. And I said, we as OSH professionals should be encouraging work-life balance, not interrupting it. The weekend is the weekend, you know, and unless the world is falling down, you know, it's sacred. And I think, 
I, it really saddens me. A couple of things really sadden me. I think one is if people really don't enjoy their jobs because that really, as someone who really enjoys her job, yeah, I can't imagine ever being in that position of dreading going to work. But, you know. It's a curse and a blessing, though. I was talking about this today as well, actually. It's quite funny that that's come up again. So it's a curse and a blessing to enjoy your job. It's a curse because you end up working far more than you should. And it's a blessing because it doesn't really feel like work. No, I know. And there's that <laughs> imposter thing coming in again, going, don't tell anyone I get paid for this, you yeah. know. But I think I think um I think that really, really um frustrates me when people and I also think the other thing that frustrates me is that when people work excessive hours, because like for example, when I speak to other trainers and I'll say to them, well, I don't know, they might be lit living up in Manchester say and they're traveling down to Southampton or whatever and it's you know five six hour journey and they'll say oh well, I'll just get up at two o'clock in the morning I'll drive down there teach all day and drive back and I'm like no you know we're teaching about safety and that's so unsafe you know oh, I know but you know hotels and I'm like I just wouldn't even consider it I wouldn't if somebody said I'll come and teach in Southampton I'd be like right hotel the night before you know I just wouldn't even if that meant there was less money in my pocket there'd be less money in my pocket because equally I would be a training session wouldn't be very good because I'd be knackered um mm. but I just think those sorts of things like those are uh, we have to really talk the talk mm. um so if we're saying to other organizations you need to do a driving for work risk assessment then why aren't we doing that for ourselves as well um, that work-life balance, the stress at work stuff. Why aren't we following our own rules and our own like, you know, what, where, you know, guidance and, and and best practice and doing the same for ourselves? You know. You mentioned the stress at work element there, and I'm just going to jump on that one a little bit, Daisy. What's your opinion on it? Should stress, occupational stress, or stress-related illness be a riddle reportable incident? Um. I think that the way I see it, and I think this is something that I like, I think that we're very good at safety. So I think that we've become very good as, and, and this is, I'm going to, I'm going to talk as a UK on this because obviously that's what I've got most experience at, but I know there'll be other people outside of, outside of the UK watching this, but I think in the UK, we've got very good at sort of risk assessments, permits to work, method statements, and we know we need to do them and we know what should be on them and those sorts of things. The safety part of it. I think what we're not good at is the health. Mm -hmm. And I think we forget that health and safety is two, those two terms, you know. And I think we need to remember that health is just as important. And I mean, health in terms of exposure to substances or, or like you're talking about stress at work. I think stress at work is a major problem. I have, my sister is a GP and she talks to me a lot about the fact that they just don't have the time to talk to people mm -hmm. um, with stress. As somebody who's had, um, you know, uh, depression, anxiety and stress in its own way as well. Um, I, it's absolutely debilitating, you know, but the problem is, when do we go, when do we say as, as, as a nation, we're going to trust people when they say they're stressed. 
because I think the problem you have is so many people misbelieve, oh, they can just say they're stressed when they're not, you know? Mm. And we need to trust that people are giving us the right information. And I think, to be honest, if you've got, you know, if you have any knowledge of, of what stress physically looks like and also the behavioral aspects of what stress looks like appears to be, there's no hiding that. You know when someone's stressed. I mean, yeah. I had, God, the other week I had my post lady, post person, the technical term is, turn up at my door and, and, and uh, it was pouring it down with rain and she had a parcel for me and I said, oh God, horrible day. She just burst into tears. And I was like, oh God, are you all right? Sorry, have I said something? And she's like, no, I'm just having a really bad day and this and this and this. And I, she must have been there for like 20 minutes just on my doorstep. Mm-hmm. Um, and I ended up, and I don't know whether I should or I shouldn't, but I ended up ringing the sorting office and just saying, look, I just want to make you aware. I didn't say who, I didn't say, I just thought they should know because if anything were to happen to that poor lady, you know, mm-hmm. but I definitely think that, I think if we go down the lines of, of riddle reporting stress, I think the parameters would have to be very, very clear. Yeah. Um, I think there would be a, a, a level of sort of passing it back to GPs, medical professionals to say, this is a certified case of stress, a bit like an occupational disease. Um, and I think it would absolutely inundate um, the contact center. I think the HSE would be absolutely inundated and I think they would end up with stress as a result of it as well. I think so. And I think that was the, the point that I was talking about earlier today and I had discussion off camera that I was having about the kind of riddle reporting side of things that it would just absolutely swamp it because mm-hmm. so many people are struggling at the moment. Yeah. So many people off of the back of this pandemic, I don't think we've even scratched the surface of the yeah. damage that's been I, done I, to people I, mentally. Absolutely, 100%. I think that I've known how I felt the ups and downs that I've had. I, you know, having conversations with my nearest and dearest about this. I was only talking to my nephew tonight. He's, he is 19 years old. He's just started at Manchester University in September. He's barely even seen his lecturers. You know, he's, he's had, he's potentially had COVID. He's had uh, Bell's palsy because of virus and stress. He's literally, you name it. And he said, you know, he said tonight about, um, you know, I think about my well-being, and I think that he's he's at uni, you know, he's in he's in his uh, residence at the moment, and he said, he said, oh, what I do is I go to the shops. I don't do a week shop. I do like a couple of days shopping, and I was like, all right, okay, why? And he said, because otherwise I might not leave the house in six days, and he said that wouldn't be good for my mental well-being. I need to get out, and I need to see, even if it's just the cashier at Tesco's, you know. But I think for a 19 year old to say that, I'm thinking, wow, this is how, this is the impact it's had because a 19 year old, even considering their well-being, it's just, and, and the, the, the ripple that this is going to have is going to be for years because people immediately, as soon as we say, right, COVID's gone, floodgates open, wall of anxiety is going to hit people. Because even if they're told it's gone, what's the next thing? What's the next COVID that's going to happen? Are we, you know, 
are we properly analyzing what we've learned from this? Um, Because it's all reactive. We're still in the eye of the storm at the moment. You know, it it would be very easy to say, oh, it's this person's fault, that person's fault. But I think we're still very much in it, as much Mm -hmm. as it's depressing even to say that. But I think afterwards, there needs to be massive reflection on it. The problem I have with this, Blair, and it's probably a bit, I don't know, political or whatever, is like with any incident that's happened in the UK, we look at it as much as the government wants to look at it and of course they're going to be looking at their own response to what's happened as well as to people and the last thing we want is another Grenfell that goes on for years and years of discussion about an incident where you know have we learned anything has anything changed not yet We can't have that with COVID. We can't have that with future incidents that happen in the UK in regard to any kind of health, safety, well-being issue. The response needs to be quicker. Changes need to be made instantaneously. So that, and yes, maybe they are knee-jerk reactions, but some reaction is better than no reaction. You know, it saddens me to my core to think that, um, you know, there have not been changes to legislation following, for example, Grenfell. You know, it's just inconceivable when you think about that, that we continue to allow people to die without those changes taking place. And so I think that the the impact that COVID has on the UK, we have to be the ones that properly go, right, what worked, what didn't work? You know, it's it's like the vaccination. There's a worry, there's, there's a part of you that thinks, well, we don't know what five years down the line of being somebody who was vaccinated is going to be like. Yeah. You know? But do we just take the gamble for the, mm-hmm. the here and now, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that typically as, as safety professionals, that wouldn't be, we wouldn't knee jerk on it, would we? We would mm-hmm. sit and think and analyze and, and, and we haven't got that opportunity now, but you hope that when things get quiet, you know, when things get quieter and things seem to be settling, that those proper conversations happen and businesses in the UK don't ever forget this mm-hmm. because it will happen again there will be another pandemic at some point and you know I'm not I'm not like kind of the bearer of bad news here but it will happen again and we need to have learned all those lessons from mm-hmm. it so we're in a position where people don't have to fear stress depression you know the, the increased numbers of things like um uh, you know, domestic violence at home and and uh, all these other things. I think we need to be ready for that. We need to be prepared. Um, mm. But it's it's a it's a difficult one. And I think, for example, that the efforts that the HSC are doing, they're doing as much as they can with a government department that has really been the fat has been trimmed so much from that department, and it needs to be reinvested. We need to see more people in there in these departments. We need to see more support from the other enforcing authorities as well to assist them. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Thanks for that, Daisy. That's some really interesting insights there. Sorry, I just get you know, and you get me going. Not a problem, not a problem. So if we continue on a little bit then, what's for in the future for Daisy? What's coming up next? Do you know, I don't, it's a bit of a very difficult thing to say. I don't know the answer to that. Having just been talking about, you know, kind of planning ahead. Um, I do think about it. And I do think that my decision on my future 
is very much based on being a parent and like as my son gets older I think there's more chance for more career development um I think it's just difficult at the moment to try and balance everything at a point that I'm happy that I'm giving enough kind mm-hmm. of evenly to, to everybody that needs a bit of me um I have thought in the past about developing and and becoming more of a a company rather than a kind of sole trader. But um, then there's a part of me that quite likes just being able to go in, do my bit and leave for the day and not have to worry about it, you know? I think I'd like to to do more work in consultancy because I do enjoy that. I do enjoy the sort of problem solving, troubleshooting element of it. I love carrying out audits. so I think that's something I'd, I'd perhaps like to develop. I don't see any major things on the horizon just yet. I think that perhaps if you'd asked me this before COVID, I would have said, oh, you know, I want to be president of IOSH in five years and, and all the rest of it. I think COVID has made me think differently, perhaps about some of my goals, you know. Um, I think it's just made me reflect more on priorities of, you know, I've got to keep you know, the roof over my head. I, I want to keep doing a job I enjoy. Do I want to upset the apple cart right at the moment? Probably not, you mm. know. Um, so I think I'll just kick along for a little bit. Um, I'm still the right side of 40. So I've still got plenty of time to, you know, keep going and developing. And I've done an inordinate an amount of CPD over lockdown which I'm sure everybody has yeah. um and, and and so I you know I, I, I sort of forever learning and learning more um and I'm adding bits and pieces to my arsenal as I, I, I've gone along I've added some new bits and pieces over over lockdown and things but I think it's just it's really shaking me up Blair it's really shaking my thoughts on what I want to do you know mm-hmm. um, because when I think about it you know you, you're talking before you've, you've got two kids yeah and you yep. know wife Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and I think that when when you're doing it on your own, the fear factor is so great because yeah. you think if I'm not working, there is nothing. Well, I think I understand that. I've been in a similar position. My wife was made redundant. She worked for a, an airline. She worked for Thomas Kirk's cabin crew, and she had done that pretty much since she had left school. And it was a real shame what happened to Thomas Cook. It went down, obviously, just before the pandemic. Then we had a new baby, and then she was off in maternity. And then the pandemic hit, and we've been, we've been trapped at home, you know. And you so, were just in a new job as well. Oh, sure, yeah. There's, uh, everything comes at once, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. Um, I think that I'd like to do... Um, to do more study, I would like to kind of work my way up um, more. But I think that right now it's hard to see that future. And I love the fact that I'm teaching people at the moment who have that, I've got a goal, I've got a goal. But there's a part of me that's just quite happy with this life that I've got right now. And it's, and it's easy and it's familiar and it's not scary. And yes, you can say, well, that's just treading water. You're not really going anywhere. You're not moving forward. But equally, I'm not moving backwards either. 
And I think I'm just enjoying where I am, enjoying where I am as a, in a career and also enjoying where I am as a person as well. You know, um, I think because I've had like the loss of my father to deal with and, and all this other stuff that's been going on, I think it's just nice to feel like when I, my head hits the pillow of a night that I've, I've done a good day's work and, uh, you know, the next day is, is going to be easy. There's not, not going to be any drama, any ups and downs and that sort of thing. And it, boring I know but it's true yeah, yeah. so this is probably the, the penultimate question for the the podcast tonight Daisy but what advice or guidance would you give to someone starting out in a career in health and safety today um I think I would probably say to somebody that they they need to involve themselves in something which is of interest to them so some aspect of this career they have to be involved in which has an interest to them in some way so whether that's a particular industry that they want to kind of get into I have a lot of people that go well I just want to get into safety like but you have to sort of well which part of it it's huge you know there's so much so many facets to this career um you know you've got people who are these lecturers and write the books and and all the rest of it and then you've got the people that are at the kind of the dirty end of it and then there's all the other elements in between so I think it's definitely finding which part of it that you want to um, get into understanding that sometimes you're going to have to take a uh, you know perhaps a step back or a step down from where you are and learn from someone else so not be too kind of like I know everything you know you do need to sit back and listen to others and, and, and absorb the information and, and, you know, great things like the mentoring scheme through IOSH, those sorts of things. They're a great opportunity, you know, and more people should be engaged in that because this is a great time to learn from others, you know. So if, you, if you're starting out and perhaps you've never written a risk assessment or you've never written a permit to work or a, whatever it might be, a procedure for something, then this is a great opportunity for you to learn from others and Sometimes it's, everyone's got to start with the basics, haven't they, Blair? We didn't just come into this and suddenly we knew everything. You yep. learn from, some, from, from somewhere. Um, I also think that using, there are so many resources out there. Like it's just flooded with resources. And I think you should pick and choose wisely about the resources that you, that you use. So yep. I have been an IOSH member for however many years, I can't remember. And I've always found, I mean, I still use the Irish magazines in my safety training. I think it's a great start for people to learn about their, the industry and the sorts of things that go on within the industry. But using their branches, using the branches, you know, nobody has to, anybody, literally anyone, whether you're a member or not, you can come along and, and sit in on a branch meeting, you know, network with other people, ask questions and speak to people and never think that anyone is above them. Because I remember standing and I think I had like, there was like the head of the corporate head of L'Oreal, you know, um, health and safety. And I had like the Formula One head. And I was stood there. I was like, oh my God, I'm just like Daisy Silcock. What the hell am I doing here? You know, but the thing is, is that we're all there for a reason and we all play a part. And I think to myself, you know, I, I think to myself, the work that I do is different to the work that say you do or anyone else does. But 
my, I know my place. My place is I'm teaching people that they're going to be the future head of L'Oreal and the head of Formula One, you know, and everybody has to start somewhere and we're all on this journey and we're all trying to make a difference. We're trying to make things safer. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's what we need to remember. And I think that wherever you start, if you're, if you're new to this industry, wherever you start, you know, network, ask questions, don't ever think that there's a silly question because there really isn't, because we've all had to ask those questions at some point, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So thank you very much for that. Daisy, on behalf of the viewers and listeners, I say from your average, we really appreciate you coming on the show. How do people reach out to you if they want to be on one of your, your Nibosh courses or IOSH courses? Um, they can just go through LinkedIn and mm -hmm. look for Daisy Silcock and mm -hmm. um, they'll find me on there or on Twitter and they can get in touch and uh, yeah, it'd be nice to hear from some people, even if it's just as a, a conversation, really, about some of the things that we've been discussing tonight. Um, I think they're important topics, and I, and I think that any career where, certainly for for this career, which is kind of women are we haven't been around for sort of since day dot in it. I think it's having conversations with other women as well, and kind of inspiring them to go for it, even if sometimes they feel intimidated by this very male dominated industry at the end of the day we've got a future female uh, president on their way into iosh we've got uh, bev currently at the top of uh, of iosh as a chief exec who by the way phenomenal woman and and she's really inspired me as well as has louise hoskins for that matter um but i think it's just it's this is this is not a a quality thing it's not about sexism or whatever it's just about seeing a true reflection of society represented in our industry you know and and in all its different shapes and forms and colors and all the rest of it you know i also become such a big international organization we've got people from all four corners of the world you know it's great getting them getting them all onto the branch meetings and getting them engaged in safety and really starting to spread that message it's excellent well i'm hoping i'm hoping that maybe following this that uh, Come COVID, the uh, Caribbean branch would like me to go over there and talk to them face to face some point. Yeah, I think yeah, well, there's a long queue for that one, especially <laughs> yeah. if business class flights going spare. <laughs> never been the most popular branch as they will be when we get out of COVID. For sure, for sure. Okay, thank you very much, Daisy. I really appreciate thank you coming you. on the show. This podcast is sponsored by Inside Out Group, the specialists in high-risk and challenging filming and time-lapse, covering health and safety videos for rail, construction and infrastructure projects nationwide.